think and speak about love. Despite the fact that this is a day that love is talked about very often, I'm convinced that love is probably one of the most misunderstood words in our culture. Movies are, are made about love. Songs are sung about love. But what is often called love is little more than lust or maybe a really strong like. As believers in Jesus Christ, we cannot give in to the world's mindset of what love is and what love looks like. And we don't have to wonder what love is and what love looks like because God has answered these things for us in His Word. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 13. Page 1, or verse 1 is where we're going to start at. That is page 878 in your pew Bibles. When you find that, I'll ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. First Corinthians 13, and I'm going to read the first eight verses. Paul says, Though I speak with the tongue of men, and angels, but have not love, I have become a, a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather, study your word, sing your praise. Father, as we look today at a familiar passage of Scripture, it is going to be easy for us not to take it to heart in the ways that we need to. Father, it's possible for a passage to become so familiar to us that it loses its weight upon our lives, on our hearts. So today I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit and he would come and he would take your word and he would reveal things to us in a fresh way, that he would lay it on our hearts in a way that, that, that is new and, and helps us to understand the weight of what it is to love others as you have loved us. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech so that I could speak your words in your ways for your glory. Father, help us to be known as a people who truly love others. Help us not to, to love in, in word, but in deed and in truth. Let our lives be characterized by the kind of love that we see in this passage. Be glorified through how we hear. Be glorified through how we respond. Be glorified through the way that we love others. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Part of the issue that was going on in Corinth was over the issue of spiritual gifts. Paul has dealt with that in chapter 12. And if you look at verse 28, in fact, he says, 
Um, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings and helps and administrations and variety of tongues. Or all apostles, or all prophets, or all preach, or all teachers, or all workers of miracles. Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Paul has laid out some things about spiritual gifts, but he wants them to understand that, that rather than really focusing on the gifts themselves, that there is a more excellent way to live. A more excellent way to, to focus their lives, and what that is, is on love. And 1 Corinthians 13 is probably familiar to all of us. We've heard it preached many times, we've read it a lot of times, and, and what we know is that Paul is emphasizing love. Right, he's, he stopped talking about the problems in the church. He stopped talking about the spiritual gifts that they're wrestling with. And he emphasizes love because Paul knows that love is really the most important thing. Paul is convinced that if they will begin to love one another properly, then everything else will really work itself out. That if they will just get right this one thing, if they will just love as they are supposed to love, then they will do everything else. They are supposed to do. And really what Paul wants them to know is what we have to know today. If I love right, I'll live right. I mean, that is the central truth I want you to understand this morning. If I love right, I'll live right. Now that can sound like a, an overstatement, right? I mean, come on, if I get this one thing right, then everything else will work its way out. Well, let me just kind of take a second and explain and show you that this is really the way it is all throughout Scripture. When Jesus walked on the earth, he was often uh, accosted by Pharisees asking him questions, trying to trick him up. And one day they asked him a question. They said, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Right. If there's only one thing in all of God's law we're going to do, what is it, Jesus? Who knows who can remember how Jesus answered that? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. He followed that up by saying the second is like it. To love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then he made an amazing statement. He said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And what he was saying was, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and if you love others in the same way that you love yourself, you will do everything, everything the Bible says to do. That's it. So if I love God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength, then I will do all the things that pertain to my relationship with God. But I will strive for holiness because I know that helps me stay close to Jesus and I want more of Him in my life. I, I will. In fact, Jesus said, if you love me, what? Obey my commandments. The Apostle John, in writing 1 John, he went on to say that this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments and they are not a burden to us. See, when I love Jesus and I love God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength, I just naturally do what pleases Him. And it's not a burden to do it. I don't have to make myself do it. I want to do it because I love him so much. In a similar way, when I love others, as I love myself, I will do for them all that Scripture says I shall do for them. 
And I won't do against them anything that Scripture says I shouldn't do against them. For example, if I love others as I love myself, I will share the gospel with them. I will tell them about Jesus. Why? Because I know that Jesus alone saves. And I personally am very glad that someone told me about Jesus so that I could believe in Jesus and be saved by Jesus and not go to hell. And if I love others as I love myself, I'm not going to want them to go to hell either. So I'm going to tell them about Jesus so they can believe in Jesus, call on Jesus, and be saved by Jesus. At the same time, the Bible says not to be judgmental and not to gossip. Well, personally, I don't like being gossiped about. I don't like people judging me. And since I don't like people doing that to me, when I love them as I love myself, I won't gossip about them. And I won't judge them. Right? If I love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength, if I love my neighbors as I love myself, I will absolutely do everything else that the Bible commands. If I love right, I will live right without fail. Now, why is it, though, that love is so important, so powerful, That if I love right, I'll live right. Paul gives us three reasons for that. The first is that love is others-centered. Love is others-centered. The spiritual gifts that they were arguing about were kind of a way to, to puff themselves up. And Paul addresses that early on. He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, become as a a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. They argued over the gift of tongues. Paul said it doesn't matter what language you're speaking. If you don't love, it's just noise. Now, we could take this and we could apply it to, say, eloquence. Right? You can be the most gifted speaker in the world. You can explain the gospel better. You can explain the Bible better. You can just be a, a silver-tongued Muldoon to explain anything. But if love is not the motivating factor behind your speech and people know it, you're not doing anything but making a lot of noise. And, and I think we know this in some areas. Right? There was a, we're in a political season. How many, raise your hand if you think either any politician from any party truly cares about you. So when you hear them talk about the common man, and middle class, knowing that none of them have ever actually been either of those things. Do you think they're out for me? Or is it just wah, wah, wah? It's like Charlie Brown's teacher, isn't it? You know, the reality is when we talk and we don't love, that's what we sound like as well to the world around us. Paul doesn't stop there, though. He says, though I have the gift of prophecy, and though I understand all mysteries and, and all knowledge, and though I have the gift of faith that I could move mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. Now, these are pretty big things. In my mind, the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries. What if you could just explain Revelation, every type and every symbol and everything, into a way that a kindergartner can understand? That would be pretty impressive, right? Or if you could move mountains, I mean, like make mountains move from Denver to Sunset Lake, that would be awesome. Paul said, if you have that kind of faith, if you understand things that well, But you still don't have love. Love isn't the motivating factor for why you do what you do. You're nothing. Of no value in the kingdom of God. We could 
we could take this and say it also, I think, for our day. And more say for to be theologically sound. You could be theologically orthodox. You can be have proper biblical doctrine. But if the way you explain it isn't in love, it profits you nothing. It's, it's no good whatsoever. And then in verse 3 he says, And though I bestow my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Now remember that Jesus told the rich young ruler to, to go and to sell all that he had to give to the poor, to follow him, and great would be his reward in heaven. Paul says if you follow that, and you sell everything that you have, and you give every dime of that to the poor, and yet love wasn't the motivator from it, no good. It doesn't really do anything. Even if you sacrifice yourself, you become a martyr for the gospel, but not because you love Jesus and not because you love people, it profits you nothing. I mean, think about that for a second. I mean, that is, what Paul says in these three verses is pretty intense. I mean, these are big things, right? I mean, the idea of speaking in tongues. Imagine if in Gaiman you could speak every dialect of every culture in our community. That would be great. But if love wasn't motivating you when you spoke, it's just so much noise. Though you had faith so that God answered all of your prayers and the way that you prayed them and, and I don't know, amazing things happened. It doesn't matter. If love isn't the motivator. I mean, this is, to me, this is challenging. And what Paul wants them to understand is, by focusing on the gifts, which is what they're focusing on. These are the kind of spiritual gifts they're focusing on. They're saying, I speak in tongues, let me up front. They're saying, I have the gift of prophecy, listen to what I have to say. They're saying, I know the mysteries, I'm right about what I'm saying. And they were elevating themselves, and by focusing on the, on the gifts, they were really focusing not on God, not on people, but on themselves. Everything they did was motivated by a desire to say, look at me. And Paul says that's not the way love acts. Love isn't motivated by self-exaltation. Love is others Centered. When you love others, you care about their needs and their wants and their desires more than you care about your own. You're willing to put their needs and their wants and their desires ahead of your own. You know, this is the example of Jesus and it's an example we're to follow. John says, by this we know love. Here's what love is. Jesus laid down His life for us. That's the example of a self-sacrificing, others-centered love. And so what is our response to that love for us? We are to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, I didn't put it up here, but understand, John doesn't narrow this just to dying for people. right? It's not, well, if I have to die for my will, but until then it's just going to be about me. John goes on to give it very practical ways. If you see them in need and you have the ability to help and you do nothing, how is the love of God in you? John just points out that it is a, it is a other-centered. When we love people, we care about them. When we love, we are not the center of our universe. I understand something. A loving person is not a selfish person. And in all honesty, a selfish person is really not a loving person. 
A selfish person loves themselves more than they love anyone and everyone else. And they can never, ever, ever put others first. And that, that is the natural default for most of us, wouldn't you say? It is for me, I'll be honest. Maybe you're naturally not, not that way, but for me, naturally, I'm selfish. How can I put others ahead of myself? How can I consider their will, their want, and their desires? I love them enough to do that. Love, if I love right, I'll live right, because love motivates me to be other-centered rather than self-centered. Secondly, love is active. It's easy enough to say love is other-centered. But John, in the verse I just put up there, he goes on to say, Let us not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. See, love is really never passive. Love is always active. And in these verses 4, 5, and 6, Paul explains some of the, the active ways that love is. Right? He says that, that love suffers long. Not love, love puts up with things. I mean, and again, this is kind of a, a difficult thing. Love has a, a long temper rather than a short temper with those that we love. When I love someone, every little thing they do doesn't get on my nerves. When I love someone, their voice isn't like the sound of nails down a chalkboard. They, I'm able to, to bear with them and suffer long with them because they don't always get on my nerves. And, and not, let me say, and not because they're so perfect, but because I love them so much. It's not like I only love good people who don't get on my nerves. When I love them, they just simply don't get on my nerves. Love is, is kind. Kindness is, is active. Kindness is taking the initiative to see the need and meet the need. And that's important when we talk about a biblical kindness. Kindness in the Bible is always, again, it's active, not reactive. When I'm kind, I see the need, so I do what I can to meet the need. When I love people and I see they have a need, then I do what I can to meet that need. I don't wait for them to humble themselves and come and ask my help. I don't wait for them to, to break down. I see the need. I have the ability to meet that need. And I do what I can to help them in that need. I take the initiative. Love does not envy. I'm not jealous of those that I love. When they get promoted and I don't, I don't feel bad. I don't think that should have been me. When they get something I wanted, I don't think, well, I'm as good as they are. I should have gotten that too. I'm happy for every promotion and every blessing and every good thing that comes in their life. I don't feel the need to compare myself to them and think that should have been me. Love does not parade itself and is not puffed up. When I love someone, I don't necessarily think I don't think I'm better than them. And again, this is kind of a big thing. Because I'm not sure it's possible to love someone I'm better than. If I look at someone and I think they are a lesser being, they are lesser than I am in some way, then I really don't love them. What I do at best is I pity them. And pity and love are not the same thing. We are not called to pity. We are called to love here. So when I love, I don't elevate myself. I don't think I'm better than others. And, and a huge thing to understand about this is that it's through pride 
then an angel became the devil, right? That's the old cliche. Isn't that what the Bible says? Satan was an angel of God, but he was puffed up and then he became the devil. You know, the truth is we can't be proud and Christ-like at the same time. We are one or the other. Anytime I elevate myself over another and I look down upon them in my pride, I am very, very, very unlike the Savior who has redeemed me. And I am much more like the enemy of my soul that tries to destroy me. That is something we, we have to remember. Love does not behave rudely. Does um, not behave rudely. It's basically being discourteous. It's making someone feel bad. When I love someone, I don't put them down. I I don't belittle them. I I don't degrade them. I don't say or do things to to treat them in a way to let them know they're they're not as good as I am. I don't try to embarrass them. When I love someone, I never want to make them feel bad in that way. Love does not seek its own. Um, Again, the idea of when when I love someone, I don't always have to have my way. If I, love, if I love my wife, that her will and her want, her desires should be at least as important as mine, if not more. Right? When I love someone, I don't always have to do things the way I want them done. Love is not provoked. Again, the idea of not easily irritated. When I love someone, I don't just fly off the handle at every little thing that they do. Love thinks no evil. Love gives someone the benefit of the doubt. When I love someone, I, I give them the benefit of the doubt that they're going to do what they say or, or whatever. I don't instantly go to a bad place that they're doing something wrong or they're bad or they're going to fail or they're going to do this. I always give them the benefit of the doubt. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. And this is pretty neat because the idea with this one is love takes no, glo- no, no pride, no pleasure when those that we love fail. Have you ever seen someone fail and kind of secretly giggled and snickered? It's what they deserve. You know why we do that? Because we don't love that person. Our culture kind of takes almost a perverse pleasure in watching others fail. There, there's just a, we, I mean, not just, I mean, I don't even think about celebrity things. I mean, you can go to Carter's and look at the Star or the Inquirer, and that's kind of what it's all about. Look at how these rich people are failing, and look at the spectacle they're making of their life, and people just eat that stuff up. But even beyond that, there's just a perverse pleasure when regular people fail. Oh, did you hear what they did? I heard they did that. Well, I heard this happen. Oh, I just knew that was going to happen. I knew all along. I always thought to myself, they're the kind of person that would do this. And, and secretly, we, we take pleasure in their failure. The reason we do that is because we love them. I never take pleasure in the failure of someone I love. Love is it's very active. It leads us to do things, to act certain ways. Now, that's all pretty challenging. Wouldn't you say that doing all of those things is pretty tough? But when I I love someone, these are the things that I do. See, when I live right, when I love right, I'll live right because love motivates me to, to do certain things and not do certain things. 
towards those that I love. And I will be doing all that God wants done. And then the final is that love is enduring. We've looked at all of these things that love is and that love does. But how long does love do that? That's a good question. How long do I have to bear with someone? How long before I can rejoice in their failings? How long do I have to to not keep a record of of wrongs that they have committed? Verse 7, he says, love bears all things. The idea of, of bears all things, I think some translations have it as love covers all things. And the idea is that when we love someone, we can overlook their faults. And we can overlook their failures and we can overlook the problems and things that they have. Because have you ever thought about, I mean, how many of you, if I say, who is someone you just have to endure in life? Somebody comes to your mind, raise your hand. It's okay, it's a safe place, right? Now, do you want to know one of the most challenging truths in the world? That someone out there, when they hear that question, they think of you. Think of me. They have to bear with us. How do we how do we bear with each other? I mean, because we're all flawed and we all have issues and, and we all have quirks and, and do things that are going to get on, on each other's nerves. How how does Kelly put up with me with all my quirks and weirdness and stupid things that I do and say? It's because she loves me. Now, there's a I wasn't going to do this, tell this as an illustration, but I'm going to tell it myself. When, when we went to Kansas City for Christmas, the girls, we let them choose the radio station for a while. And they listened to some sort of hip-hop, bebop station. And we liked to listen to like Justin Bieber and like Megan Trainor. It was, it was awful. So to punish them, I made them listen to country music. And I found the oldest, twangiest I mean, back in the day when there was only two types of music, country and western. And there was a song, and I can't remember what it's called, um, but the guy's talking about, people talk about his wife or his girlfriend and tell her all the things that she does wrong. And his response is, well, she's close enough to perfect for me. Why does he think that about her? Because he loves her. Because he loves her, he overlooks these things. The only way we're ever going to be able to deal with people in life, in general, is by overlooking each other's faults. If you have a healthy marriage, it's not because two perfect people came together. It's because you choose to love one another enough that you overlook each other's faults. You bear with one another and you believe all things and you hope all things and you endure all things. And all that he's saying in verse 7 really is that love is enduring. If I love Kelly, I don't stop loving her because she does something that irritates me. And I don't stop loving her if she does it more than once. Even if she has a habit that is repetitive and daily and consistent, if I love her, that love endures. It keeps on keeping on. That's what love does. Love never fails. In fact, he he talks about in verse 13 that now faith, hope, and love, these three abide, but the greatest is love. Love goes on forever. 
In heaven, we will still love. Love each other and we will love God. Now, if you've been here any time, you've heard me do this before. But one of the ways to really find out how challenging this passage is, is to read through it and replace your name for love. So I'm going to read through it and put my name in there. And as I do it, you insert your name in there. And just think about whether or not it rings true. Stacy suffers long. Stacy is kind. Stacy does not parade him. Stacy does not envy. Stacy does not parade himself. Stacy is not puffed up. Stacy does not behave rudely. Stacy does not seek his own. Stacy is not provoked. Stacy thinks no evil. Stacy does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Stacy bears all things. Stacy believes all things. Stacy hopes all things. Stacy endures all things. That's pretty tough. And as you read that, let me ask you, does that ring true of your life? Because that's challenging, right? I mean, maybe for you it's not. But for me, love is the idea of love as the Bible defines it is a pretty challenging thing to do. But what I want to do now in these last few minutes is make it even more challenging. Because what often what we do is we read this, especially on Valentine's Day, and we say, love your spouse. Certainly, loving your spouse is an application of 1 Corinthians 13. But this passage of Scripture we're looking at, it's not in Paul's letter to husbands and wives, is it? It's not in Paul's letter to family units. This is in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. Paul isn't saying husbands love your wives in this way. Paul isn't saying wives love your husbands in this way. Paul isn't saying parents love your children, children love your parents. Paul is saying you as believers in Jesus Christ, you love this way. Who do I love this way? Do I love my wife this way? Yes. Love my husband this way? Yes. Do I love my children this way? Yes. Do I love my brothers and sisters in Christ in this way? Yes. Do I love the servers at the restaurant this way? Yes. Do I love my co-workers in this way? Yes. Do I love my neighbors in this way? Yes. Who do I love in this way? Everybody. You and I are called to love everyone in an other-centered way. You and I are called to actively love people. Everyone around us. We are called to have an enduring love for everyone around us. Now, that's really hard. And, and what I, we've got to understand is, if I were to devote my whole life to loving Kelly in this way, and Kelly was the only person I loved in this way, that would be good. But I would still not be doing what God commands me to do here. Because God commands me not only to love Kelly in this way, but to love Nathan in this way, to love Jim in this way, to love Michael in this way, to love Alan in this way, to love everyone in this way. Even the people, when you raise your hand at somebody that irritates you, we are to love them in that way. It's difficult. As believers in Jesus Christ, we can't say, well, I love my wife for my spouse mostly this way, or I love my family unit mostly this way. I'm good. As long as there are people we don't love in this way, there is work to be done in our lives. When we leave this church today, and wherever we go, Everyone we encounter, we are to love in an other-centered way. 
Everyone we encounter, we are to love in an active way. We are to love in an enduring way. We will never lock eyes with someone that God does not want us to love in this way. And that's tough. So I thought, how can we do this? I mean, how, how is this even possible? Because I know in myself, if I were to just say love people like this, you probably can't. I can't. I mean, I can't just flick a switch and just suddenly start loving people in this way. So what do we do? I think there's at least two actions we have to take. I have to really want to love this way. And let me be honest. I, I think if there is a hindrance to our loving people in the way that we're talking about here, this is it. I mean, do you really want to love everyone in this way? Not just your spouse, not just your family. Do you want to love that irritating person in this way? Do you want to love your co-workers in this way? Do you really want this kind of love to flow out of your life? I think God could make us do this if He wanted to. But God doesn't seem to make us do a lot of things. Instead, God simply says, here's what I think is right. I think you should choose to do my will. And so, if I don't want to love Kelly, or you, or anyone in this way, I don't think God will make me. I can just live an unloving life, and and not really be who God has created me to be. So the first question any of us have to answer, before we start talking about how to love like this, is do I really even want this? Am I willing to put myself out there in this way for all these sort of people in my life? If I truly want to love this way, I think God will make it possible. But we really have to want to. And then secondly, I surrender to God. I must surrender to God. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives. And part of the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces is love, and it is this kind of love. But again, God won't force us to do it. God says, this is my way, and this is the best way. I want you to choose this way. And that requires us to to submit to God, to surrender. And the thing about surrender, it's really not surrender until we don't want to do it. I mean, I I don't surrender to eat bacon. I don't surrender to watch Doctor Who. I don't... Surrender to to go to the gym in the mornings. I want to do those things. To do other things, I have to surrender. So, if I don't want to love this way, this is an act of surrender. If I can think of someone and think, oh man, just the thought of loving them in this way and putting myself out there, it just makes my stomach churn. It's an act of surrender. It, It is saying to God, your way is best. And I'm willing to do your way, no matter how difficult it is. And it may require us to let go of certain prejudices. It may require us to humble ourselves and acknowledge that, you know what, we're really not better than them. It may require us to to put up with irritating things over, over, over again. It may require us to not keep a record of wrongs that are committed against us. It may require us to open ourselves up to the place where we can be hurt and where we can be disappointed. But still, it's doing that anyway. 
And I believe that if I really want to love this way, if I call out to the Lord and I surrender to Him, I believe the Holy Spirit will produce this kind of love in my life. It won't happen instantly. Probably won't be easy. If it was easy, we would all do it, right? It would be, it'll be difficult. We'll have to keep trying and keep surrendering and keep praying and keep seeking. But over time, we'll learn. I really do love these people now. I really do. I feel this way toward them. So if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is the two issues you've got to deal with. Maybe three, I guess. Do you really love in the way that we've talked about? And if not, do you want to? And are you willing to surrender to God so that you can? In a minute, we're going to stand and have a time of invitation. When we do, this is a time for you as a believer to begin to seek the Lord and say, God, help me. Help me to let go and help me to love. Change my heart, change my attitude, humble my pride, make me unselfish, whatever that God needs to do to change you so that you can love people in the way that He has loved you. Let's stand as our musicians come forward.